0: Hello, and welcome to Derp Talk About Games. I'm your co-host Mango,
1: and I am your co-host Buddy.
0: And today we're going to talk a little bit about the Seven Samurai. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast?
1: Well, on the podcast, on this podcast, we like to talk about games, but we also like to talk about movies, and we also like to talk about you know lots of other stuff. And um, and since Seven Samurai was the topic of. Of discourse the other day on Twitter, we decided to do yeah. a whole freaking cast about it.
0: Yep, um, because you know. So just to summarize, somebody on Twitter said that uh, that Seven Samurai was was like something like. You, you have the, the the tweet in front of you. Hold on, me, like yeah, was, I, can, was... I can
1: find that tweet. Let me let me, okay. let me let me let
0: me find the. While he searches for it, I'm going to you know. As you may remember, several years ago we did a podcast on the uh, Magnificent Seven remake. Um, the original Magnificent Seven being a kind—I of... think—ripoff is probably an accurate way to describe uh, of the uh, of the original of the original Seven Samurai. Um, so much so that like some scenes were like some some scenes were remade pretty much shot for shot, and some and some of it like just didn't translate well. Like they, it, it stuck to the script of the original in ways that didn't make sense for a cowboy western. Um, but you know, uh, but you know as part of that, uh, I watched Seven Samurai. I watched Seven. I watched several other like there's it spawned a whole genre, right? So like there's uh, uh, Hawk the Slayer and Battle Among the Stars. I think um, I did not watch Bugs Life for that, but it is that is one of the you know it it spawned its own parody genre, which is Seven Samurai. But the the villagers think that the actors are real versions of what they're pretending to be, which is what the Bugs Life version is. And then the actors have to pull together. The other the, the first one of those is um, Three Amigos, I believe. Um, did, did, the tweet, did the tweet Did the tweet disappear?
1: I'm am on her page. I'm scrolling down, waiting for maybe. She, I mean, she just tweets a ton. Uh, I mean, maybe I, I can find like a screenshot. I was gonna say I
0: messaged you a hot. Okay, take here it is. Is.
1: Oh no, this is a screenshot of a different. Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, here here is what it is. This is this is the source tweet. This is the source tweet. The tweet says, I'm watching Seven Samurai and realizing this is the movie that masturbatory filmmakers incapable of telling a story in a hundred minutes cling to as an excuse for their worst impulses on why it's okay to waste the audience's time because they believe they discovered Capital C cinema. That's the this is the source tweet. It's been dunked on I don't know, more or less every day for the last couple of days, I, I'm seeing it pop up. Um, where most people seem to recognize that um, that Seven Samurai is like a like a like a true bona fide classic. The reason, by the way, that that she tweeted this is because Seven Samurai was in the news because Zack Snyder had originally pitched, I guess, in 2014 when you know Disney was taking pitches for how to do the sequel trilogy. Zack Snyder had pitched a Seven Samurai star wars movie basically um and that he is instead they turned down the pitch obviously and, he, and so they he is instead retooling that story for something original um
0: that's, that's interesting because you know well i mean obviously the original thing is like hidden fortress is supposed to be part of the inspiration yeah. for the original um also there was a seven seven episode in season one of Mandalorian. Um, more or less. That's
1: true. I would also argue that Rogue One is basically Star Wars Seven Samurai. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where Seven Samurai is so baked into the DNA of any of these kinds yeah. of stories that, like, so, so many of them are – you could make the case for, oh, this is just Star Wars Seven Samurai, right?
0: Right. No, I. I yeah, I, I guess the the thing there is that there are enough that are like, – like, you can, like – you know, draw rings, right? Like, this is, like, the difference between, like, a rogue light and a rogue like type stuff and then, like, things with roguelike <laughs> elements, right? Like, yeah. you can keep drawing, like, bigger circles. And I would say that Rogue One falls in one of the more outer circles. Um, okay,
1: sure. Yeah, th- that's true. The Mandalorian episode was a fundamental and true recreation of, almost beat for beat, of the Samurai mm. 7 story, right? Like, there's obviously some little pieces of it that are different because of the nature of... Star Wars, you know that that show, yeah. But like the 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 core of getting a small group of people together, training the village to withstand the bandits, you know, going through the entirety of that attack. I mean, even things like I, I the the thing in the Seven Samurai movie that I always forget about, and I guess we could maybe transition into talking about the movie itself is the is them going to the samurai to the bandit base in yeah. the second half. Where, um, uh, or do we also care about a spoiler thing?
0: Yeah, I mean, spoilers I for mean, Seven a, Samurai. It's yeah, a,
1: spoilers <laughs> for 70, uh, a 70 year old movie. Not only that, but <laughs> you've also, if you
0: haven't seen so it, you've you've <laughs> probably seen at least one of the more direct adaptations of it, right? Yep. So, um, anyway. Um,
1: yeah, because there's the part, th- this always gets omitted, right? Where, uh, a couple of the samurai, um, Kikucho, Bay Heyachi? Yeah. Heiachi Hei- dies there. So Heyachi goes and then Rikichi all go to the you know, go to the the bandit fort after they capture the bandit scouts and Rikichi finds his wife who commits suicide out of shame by running back into that burning building? Like, that's the part I always forget about. That part, like yeah. that part, is bleak. But yeah. even the Mandalorian episode included that, which is I think most people ignore that plot point, right? Of the of the samurai actually going out. Most of the time, it is just about the defense of the village.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I mean, there's there's all, and uh, I was I was thinking in another part of that, like where Hayate he- dies by a musket shot, which. That kind of like, yeah. you know, there are three muskets, and we need to deal with them is also a part that usually gets in Mostly because a lot of a lot of the adaptations have guns of some sort. Although I guess the the, the Magnificent Seven remake did use a Gatling gun as kind of like that in, in practice. True.
1: It also it also is like a lot a lot of these have like a stakes razor. So for instance, it's the ATST in um in the Mandalorian mm. episode, which is like oh they have this thing that is a that is dangerous, and it's like it's either the muskets. Heiachi gets shot by the muskets and then and then later Kyuzo and Kikucho go and and get get the other muskets. And by the way, probably my favorite maybe my favorite moment in the movie Kyuzo, good like going off <laughs> into the night coming back with the musket. It's like it reminds me a lot of um the, the, you know Mad Max Fury Road. There's that moment in Mad Max Fury Road where he goes yeah, out into in the myth, fog to, like, yeah. deal with the thing, and he comes back with a bunch of bullets and guns and blood. Like, those kinds of moments are always are always so great. No, I mean, um, like, yeah,
0: th- beyond, like, kind of the, like, you know, we we're talking about, I was talking about, like, circles of adaptation, because I, I think this is yeah. super, like, there are so many moments in this movie that you can just see, like, you know, having influenced film and, you know, video games, right? Like Oh, the,
1: yes, a samurai slashing somebody and then going, huh! And then, like toppling yeah. over, right? Like, how anime would not exist without this without yeah. this
0: movie. Like, and it's funny to see just kind of like how like how far it's come too, because like you know there there's the version in in Seven Samurai, which is fairly kind of like it's it's neat, but it's like you know fairly tame to like the modern version, which is like you know you know slash is like ha, you missed, and then like the person falls apart because he's been cut in half, right? Which is you know like yeah. the the kind of like very anime version of it, but like um. I mean, I remember the first time I watched the movie, the thing that, like, really, like, took me took, took me aback is, uh, is if you've ever played a Dark Souls game, um, Kate, uh, I, I'm not great with the names, but the, the, the kind of goofy samurai, right? Like, falling asleep. Kikacho. Kikacho. Mm-hmm. Falling asleep, and it's his sword propped up. And this is, like, Kanbei takes the sword and, like, hides it, right? And it's, mm-hmm. like, he's sleeping. The sword's propped up, and... The, the next to the fire you just like move that sword over into the fire and that's a bonfire from Dark Souls just straight like it is yeah. exactly like like I remember watching for the first time oh oh <laughs> right like that's where that comes from like so very so very very clearly but like um like, like like you were saying the walks into the mist and walks back with the with the gun moments very similar to that right like um those are the big ones that come up that like that, that float off the top of my head are like the the slash. Uh, walking to the, walking to the mist and um, and uh, uh, and the thing I was just talking about the or the 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 dark the dark souls bonfire which isn't really like like it's a reference but it's not particularly like imitated in, in tone it's just kind of like a moment um, but yeah. Um,
1: so Yeah, I was surprised how much of the of the like off screen stuff happens. Cause another moment that I, I forget is in the very beginning of the movie, Kambe shaves his head and wears a monk's robe in order to like kill the thief and and get the baby. And you watch you are watching from the perspective of a spectator who's watching Kambe at the opening of the opening of the the door and it's a really tense moment because he opens the door and he has these two rice balls and he says i'm just here you know i'm sure the baby's hungry or the kid is hungry i'm sure you're hungry or whatever he throws in one rice ball he throws in the other rice ball and then he just like dashes forward and the the thief like comes out and falls over dead And it's just like all of that happens and it's this imply it's it's like the implied like precision of like oh he's a samurai like i'm the true badass right like how i i feel like it is not just that it creates the these specific iconographic moments of badass moments it is that it creates almost badass moments themselves right like i would be there are definitely movies that i've seen super famous movies that i've seen that are action movies But that I think lack this, like um, I don't know, just this aura, right? Like when I think of the old Robin Hood, you know, uh, like the the Robin Hood serials with um, God, is super famous guy. But like you know, those are all about the swashbuckling adventures. Man, I it's gonna kill me. Is it Errol Flynn? Errol Flynn. Yeah, perfect, yes. So the old Robin Hood serials with Errol Flynn, those are action movies, right? Where, like, action is happening. But it is not quite about, like, him being a badass in the same way that I would say that, like, all of these moments from Seven Samurai feel like the the, the progenitor of just so many other things that come out, you know, since then. Yeah, Like, I feel like Seven Samurai... Is the progenitor even to movies that aren't even in the same genre like like john wick for instance sort of also falls into this category even though you, i couldn't point to anything in particular and say like this is a moment that is uh, you know it's, it's like this is a seven samurai reference i don't think any of those are seven samurai references but i think that the the way in which the story contextualizes john wick is very similar to the way in which the seven samurai contextualizes some of its characters as these like oh yeah Kyuzo is like a is a motherfucker like Kyuzo is so fucking cool like do you know what i mean does that
0: make yeah, sense yeah it, it, it does it does you know it, like i don't know i it's, it's, some of this too for me is like i'm i'm curious as to like how much like what what what, what shoulders that it's it's standing on like there's 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 a sure. whole there's a whole dimension to this too which is like you know um, this is still at a period of time where, like, um, basically, like, American ki- American cultural hegemony hasn't, like, seeped across the world in a way. Just because, like, it can't, right? Because we don't have as, as much way to spread information. So, um, understanding the Japanese kind of tradition, right? Like, this is, this is something that I actually think is, is su- super interesting as like a cultural or as like a historical point that like we can't really understand which is like this is a lot of people's first exposure to what like Japan is right um before like before you know you can know it and obviously you know like I said we we don't we can't really appreciate that just kind of in the in the modern age but um I'm curious as to like kind of what things like what what other Japanese cinema it was building on top of what kind of Japanese cinema looked like because like everything now I think is kind of in the shadow of Hollywood which is fine, and I don't, I don't think it's particularly limiting. But I also think there's just kind of like less kind of opportunity for kind of uh, separate individual um, kind of tradition, cinematic traditions to, to come up that are like kind of that kind of grow up outside of foreign influence. And I, you know, and that's kind of from an era where you could at least get some of that, right? Where you know uh, the the kind of Hollywood hasn't saturated the world, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, there are definitely, I, I think part of it is that um, the, like the filmmaking boom in Japan that Kurosawa was sort of riding the wave from is like post-war, like coming out of World War II. Yeah. I, where I was in the 50s. Um, also Throne of Blood, which was huge, was in the 50s. Also, um, oh God, uh, what's the, he, he, the other famous one. Yojimbo. I actually think that was in the sixties. I think that was the early sixties. And then, and then you know he kept making movies for the rest of his life. Uh, but I think that like that only happens because of the the greater cultural context of like the westernizing of the Japanese, you know, entire economy. Yeah, following l- l- the liberalization. Of World yeah, War yeah, II. yeah. So because and and I think that that is part of it. The other thing is I also know that the Japanese cinema is was more influenced by Soviet cinema than it was by American cinema early, in early, and you can see some of that stuff here. Um, for instance, there's something in filmmaking called the Kuleshov effect. The Kuleshov effect basically says that the juxtaposition between two images it creates meaning, right? So if you have a neutral face, like just a man pointing straight at the camera with no uh, no expression on his face, and you juxtapose that with images that have their own implications, the man's face takes on the implication of the intervening, you know, the like the intervening images. So if you show that man's face and then a smiling baby, people will say the man's face is happy. And if you show the man's face and then, you know, I don't know, gr- like gruesome corpses in after a battle in war, they'll say he's mournful, right? Um, that's a huge thing that underwrote Soviet cinema, like the Battleship Potemkin, uh, and I do know, because I I took this shit in college and they told me, I guess, <laughs> I do know that Japanese cinema is apparently very influenced by that Soviet school of filmmaking, more than it was Hollywood. Um, yep. Which, I, I don't know, maybe that's something. There, that's no, the no, in this movie, though.
0: But but, but that's, a, that's a point, right? Like, you know, like, yeah. so Soviet, you know, so Soviet cinema was different tradition than Hollywood, right? Like even you know, if I'm I'm a little off, that like you know Japanese cinemas, you know obviously got its own influences, but like you know, ho- you know Hollywood influences everything now. There's like nothing that even like I don't think anything can rival it now, right? Like something has everything has to grow up in the context of that, which wasn't true kind of when Hollywood was getting started. If that makes sense, right? Like we call we call other you know uh, other cinematic or c- cinemas or not cinemas, like um other like regional things like Hollywood, right like bollywood and nollywood right like they you know it's it's, it's all kind of like relate it's, it's all in that context if that makes sense um
1: yeah i also think part of it is the you know like wh- one of the things that makes seven samurai a i don't know like a, like an instant classic right is the romantic the, the romanticization of the this samurai? period, right? Like, the yeah. Sengoku Jidai samurai ideal, right? In the same way that kind of, you know, Western Europe has, like, knights, right? Or the American, or like, or like America has the Wild West, right? It's sort of a like, a, like a mythic version of history. It's not actual history. It is an implied history, I, if that makes sense. No, and
0: so, something that I, th- I think I've mentioned this uh, on previous podcasts, but I'm pretty sure that, like, the romanticization of samurai directly caused... The romanticization of cowboys because of Sergio Leone basically stealing all of their Caserosaurus movies and I, making spaghetti westerns out think of them. That's
1: pretty fair, right? And the funny thing is, is that um, there's something to, I think, this movie's greater kind of, um, I don't know, class ambitions. Like, like it it has something to say about the different classes in this society, mm. right? And like the contempt that they have for the local magistrate, right, and how the you know, um you know the 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 most famous moment in the movie from a film history point point of view is Kikacho's speech at like the end of the first act or whatever when he freaks out about, you know, how the village or oh. they, I'm sorry, they freak out because the villagers have armor from Samurai that they have killed and Kikacho is like, Well what do you fucking expect? Right? You know like that they, like, they suffered at the hands of samurai for years, they are bound to fight back, just sort of. And then he, and then he reveals that he was an orphan. You know, like, he's a farmer. He's not a real samurai. Um, I think that there is something to that kind of, like, class consciousness in a way um, that plays up in a way that hasn't, maybe almost hasn't been matched by when we think of, like, knights... And you know, like yeah, e- even stuff like Game of Thrones, which I would say is maybe the biggest adaptation of like Western medieval Europe in modern in like modern culture, it doesn't really have that that same level of um. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. How, I don't know how to explain you no, thing. I
0: I'm saying. I, I, but, I get what you're saying, and there's there's a little bit of it in Game of Thrones, right? Like there's kind of like the juxtaposition of um the Hound with kind of like the the proper the proper knights, right? But it's all kind of like
1: oh, you know what? That's actually a good point, actually. Wow. I was thinking. I'm thinking like, the Game of Thrones clearly kind of, kind of, really loves the Starks, right, and really loves like Eddard Stark and the idea of this like this this noble noble, right? Right. But I think, and and in even Game of Thrones also kind of like I would even say like fetishizes sort of the Lannisters, right? Um, but the Hound is is probably the best example of of really what I'm getting at of kind of the like, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also think... There's
1: just, there's just something about, about that that I think is really interesting. Because, like, I would say this movie is more critical of samurai than we are in sort of, like, the modern mythos. Because, like, I don't I, know. I, 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 is. I, Th- this is not the part that people remember. People remember the cool samurai killing shit.
0: But I, I don't know how much I, I, I buy that kind of in total. I, I think it's about the samurai because, like, that's kind of the only moment. Right, like otherwise, it's like these seven samurai are good people, right? Like, or these, yeah. um, and you know, and you know, it's not like 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 Kanbei is, is pretty st- like straight valorized, right? Like, none of these, like the, the worst of these particular samurai is Kikacho. right? Who is you know, t- he, he he's this farmer, right? And the farmers are also portrayed as cowardly in a lot of ways, right? Like you know, they yeah, it's they true. Yo
1: you know, Yohei the farmer who has that permanent like <laughs> face, like the most pathetic guy. Ishinos dad. And I actually, I understand that part just because um, the Japanese acting tradition is apparently very based off of Kabuki theater, Mm, which are like these big exaggerated facial expressions. This also goes into anime, right? Um, And so, you know, but it's funny because that's not the acting that we're, you know, we're used to. He is just permanently in this like whimpering face, which is just not realistic at all.
0: Yeah, I'm, yeah, that was that, that. was the thing that I, I was curious about too. Because like, I'm starting watching like how much of this is, and like, recognizing bad acting in another language is tough. But I also no. like you know how much of this is on purpose because that's the style, and how much of this is just kind of like, you know, early cinema, not great acting because you know there's you know it's, it's hard. Yeah, to, I mean,
1: everybody's shrieking their lines at the top of their lungs. Yeah. Which I I don't know why I that just uh, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Maybe it's just because I like hammy acting in general. So yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fine. But <laughs> no, it didn't
0: really bo- it didn't really bother me either. It's just kind of like it was it was it was a thing that kind of I I noticed right like every, everybody it, you could tell it, or it, it seemed to me like these are unpracticed actors or or like that, that's the way it True. read it, at least. Um, I think
1: outside of Toshido Misufune and whoever the fuck. I can't remember the guy who plays of his name. Those, I think they are they're very good actors. And a couple other, just like, like I think Gorobe has less to do than, you know, uh, Kikucho or Kambe in terms of, I don't know, just like relaying a complex character. Um, but he's like serviceable and fine in this. Um, I don't think any of the main samurai are bad. I The villagers do sort of bug me, though, a little bit. Yeah. Specifically, Yohei really bugs me. Maybe just because like he's just so contemptible a person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that's like, but like, I mean, but th- th- to bring it back to the original point, right? Like, Kikuchi, Kikuchi right, right? Like, they are hiding like their stores, right? Their emergency stores until the final night, right? Like, you know, it's not, it's not like, um, it's actually kind of reminded me of, uh, in a way, Parasite, right? Like, where like you know, I, don't, I feel like there's a certain kind of like, like a, 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 a an unsettled film will be very kind of like one dimensional about things. And Parasite, like no one in that movie is like good. Right. It's not like, it's not like, you know, the underclass servant family are good people. They're clearly terrible people as well. They're just like terrible in a different way. Um, uh, And I, I think that that's like kind of resonant in this film or, you know, this, this is revenue in this film, right? Like they're, you know, the samurai as in general, like were some of them, some of them are terrible, right? Like in, in the, some of the like some of the samurai they approach initially are terrible, right? Like, um, and you know, uh, and like there's also those 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 assholes who are in like the the inn that they're staying at they' just kind of like are like ah you just you yeah know, those, go hang yeah, yourself just, farmers.
1: <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I also forget about those guys. Yeah, yeah, I you know there's also some extra stuff in here that I also think I forget about. Like, like, this is a pretty bleak movie overall, right? The thing that Kanbei says at the end is, like, you know, that this is another battle he lost because four of the seven of them died. Um, and it was really the peasants who won is, like, honestly pretty fucking depressing. Because, <laughs> like, I, I, and that's something I always really loved about Kanbei. You know, I, I Kanbei is maybe just to just to put my cards on the table it's like maybe one of the most important characters in my like life like i played i played a version of Com- of Kanbei in a in a DD game for two and a half years Kenzo um, kenzo's a little bit like kombay who i've played in two different games uh, one of which also went for about two years but like this version of um you know a skilled warrior who nonetheless loses is just something that i find incredibly attractive as like a character archetype and i just like man i really feel for that guy at the end of the you know like at the end of the movie when they're at the graves and it's just like just can't catch a break it's always a pyrrhic victory you know even though i mean is uh shidoji is still alive so his friend is still alive and then um is still alive so yeah that's the, like but that's something. His so love goes a, I unrequited. just really feel for his. Yeah, I know. I feel for his. I feel for the, almost sort of his like pessimistic outlook, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: I'm, I feel like that's another another kind of iconic moment, right? Is you know like, uh, is is Shino like looking back and like just going to keep planning? You know, like the you know the the, the love spurn type of deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I, the love story, I for, I also forget about because that's not one that. Like really comes up, but it actually takes up a sizable amount of the movie. Yeah. Um. You know, it's kind of the whole basis for for like Yohei's sort of like, uh, sort of subplot. And there's quite a lot of plot developments that surround it, including you know Shidoji talking to, to like Yohei before the night of the last battle. it's kind of the big thing that that um, uh, is it Shidoji? It's I think it's Shichidoji actually. It's kind of the big thing that he does. Compared to some of the other samurai who have like more important jobs.
0: Yeah, there's In like. In
1: terms of like the overall dynamic.
0: Is, that's the thing that, that stuck out to me this time around as well. as like basically there's. There's. Uh, Kanbei, Chichi, Kikucho, I think, uh, and the. The, the kid. I, like I Kuchido, said. yeah. Yeah. And like they're really the main three characters and. Um, the, the, the badass um, is... Kuzo. Kuzo. Yeah, Kuzo.
1: is there just to be this object of badassery. Yeah. I also love his introduction because there's that point where Kanbei says he wouldn't be interested in, you know, like, he wouldn't be interested in us. He's just, like, hungry to hone his skills or something like that or, like, test his limits, which is just, like, and it's, like, a very, uh, it's a very extra way to describe this guy.
0: Yeah. No, I, and... I, I... So I don't know how intentional this was, but like it's it's kind of it's it's kind of great that like he gets like you know he is a master swordsman and he gets shot right like you know like that's you know it's it's kind of it's the ultimate tragedy of the, know, tragedy you know, of the movie
1: I think is is Kuzo getting killed like yeah. if anybody deserves to die the least it's him but like. No, no, but the, the important and, and part is,
0: is, com- he, is, is he is shot, right? Like, yeah, he's yeah. defeated by, like, you know, he, he, his master swordsman can't prevent him from, like, the technological advance, which is the bullet, right? Like, so.
1: Yeah, and that's a very common thing in samurai movies, right? I mean, even, I, 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 this the Senko Jidai is obviously romanticized, like we talked about, like, mythologized or whatever, but, like, guns played a huge part in... In, I think I think the only reason that Oda Nobunaga was able to, you know, exert as much control, he would he would eventually create or lead to the Tokugawa shogunate, right? The reason that Oda Nobunaga in the start of the Sengoku period was able to exert as much influence as he did was because like he found a crate because a like a Portuguese trading vessel bound for China, like crashed on the shores of his territory, and he found a crate of like.
0: 2,500
1: guns or something like that, right? And he just, like, he armed his ashigaru, which are the, like, the peasant soldiers or something with these guns, and that's the reason he won his early battles, right? Like, and I feel like it's, it's pretty common in any of these samurai stories for them to be in the same way that, by the way, I think railroads are a metaphor for the end of the Wild West in cowboy movies. Um... I think it's pretty common for like guns to show up as like the the the, the technological wave, the technological tide coming mm-hmm. in to like break down the sandcastle.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's like metaphor from last week. I mean, I think that's pretty historically accurate too, right? Because like you were saying about about the the Tokugawa shogunate. Also, like you know, you know, famously, Matthew Perry shows up and like forces Japan open with 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 you know with cannons, right? Like yeah, yeah, two hundred um,
1: years later for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh,
1: I also think that, you know, there is something to, like, we don't quite understand how, how crazy the Sengoku Jidai was, right? Like, um, I probably think, especially compared to the way that, like, other, you know, like, gunslingers in the Wild West or, you know, maybe outside of, like, ancient Rome, there probably is not... A like group of people that are so defined by war as samurai and daimyo in the Sengoku Jidai um, be, just because like it was just a hundred years of non-stop fighting and that is going to create a professional breed of incredibly skilled martial combatants right I think I think I would maybe make the argument that like the Roman legions were the same just because you know of campaigns and triumphs and the conquest of Europe and uh, and the Middle East and everything like that, but man, it is that is just like an incredibly uncommon thing in human history, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, where like war is typically bursts of activity rather than something that just spans decades.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the uh, the, the counterpoint would maybe be the Hundred Years' War, just because, but like I, I don't even think that that was that sustained, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, no. <laughs> right. Um, but, but I, and like t- to your point about like Cowboys, right? Like, I feel like there's a, like a lot of like stuff that like, does not does not quite like the, the, the full facts don't per, you know, permeate the, the conscience, right? Like Cowboys were like 10 years, maybe 20, right? Like there's not a lot of, t- it's kind of like, you know, people think of like a Victorian England is like the long thing. And that's like, you know, not that long either. I think that's like 80 ish years, um, which, which overlaps with the cowboy period. Right. But, uh, you know like like these kind of like very defining moments to notice but like the the samurai definitely took up a, a super super big part of part of it um, yeah there's the, also
1: there's also stuff i think this is also true for the sengoku jidai there's also stuff in like the cowboy period where like you know so for instance the battle like the ok corral i think i might be thinking of something else but like one of the inventions that happened during the period of the wild west was smokeless gunpowder so a lot of like shootouts were mostly defined by just huge plumes of smoke because everybody's shooting guns, and that that's a lot of smoke, and it was impossible to see through things. And I feel like the the example I learned about was the OK Corral was actually was was defined by smoke. But like, if we were to watch a movie version of this, you know, like the Wyatt Earp movie, I think covers the OK Corral, right? Um, from the, or no, 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 I'm not thinking of that. The Tombstone is what I'm thinking uh the 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 90s movie um you know that shootout has is all of the all of the gun is is smokeless gunpowder
0: yeah um i also i also know that like you know fire advancements don't necessarily roll through like that period like a period of like you know this is the point where it's invented but that doesn't mean that everybody immediately adopts it right the big the big version of this is like um is uh is metal cartridges don't immediately come into to, or like a semi-automatic pistols, right? Like people still hold on to revolvers for a while because, hey, you know, they're cheaper. They're much cheaper, and you know, most. This is, this is kind of like I feel like this is like the like the modern or like the, the semi-modern, I guess, turn of the century version of like you know, swords were carried because they were convenient, not because they were optimal weapons. But like people carried mm-hmm. pistols because they were convenient to carry rather than a, like a, a long gun, even though you know they're they're not as you know as as powerful or as accurate as, as long guns. That kind of thing, um, but
1: yeah, it's also cra- you know it's also crazy to me a little bit that um, whenever whenever we deal with these sorts of you know uh, these like these romanticized periods of history, right? Like that there are sort of different versions of them. Like we kind of touched on it a little bit with the with the Gatling gun, but I also think that Kikucho's giant nodachi katana, which is like huge and super long. Right? Like, that there is that there's some kind of appeal to this, like, diversification of a weapon set. Right? Like, Gimli fighting with axes and Legolas with his bow, it's actually a pretty perfect example of this kind of thing, right? Where, like, you, in the same way that you have the, um, you kind of have the onus to... or that impulse, I guess, to have a diversity of opinions, um, the... Or like you know, and, and like personalities among this among this sort of like group of characters, they also sort of have like a diversity of like fighting styles, which is not something that I really think Seven Samurai super delivers on. No, um, but no. definitely it's sort of antecedent or precedent. Predece- no,
0: no I, I I definitely agree with you. And I, I, I what I think I think Kikujiro's Nodachi was supposed to be like a kind of like he picked the big sword because it's big, and that's what he thinks a good weapon is, right? Not you yeah. Know. Um, uh, but like, there's definitely a kind of like the samurai carry swords and the, and the peasants carry spears, you know, even though that we do see samurai with spears, none of them are, you know, join the party, so to speak, right? Like they're all, you know, like that, that's like kind of like the, the clear differentiation, right? Like the, 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 the sword is for the professional and the, the spear is for the, uh, is for the commoner, which is Mm -hmm. kind of historically accurate. Uh, spears are very, so in, in history. Spears are very kind of like powerful weapons because they keep your opponent very far away from you. Um, they're just inconvenient to carry around, which is again the, the that's why people carried swords because they're more convenient to carry around than uh, spears. But um, I, I I definitely get your point. We, we should probably get you a little bit closer to the movie. Um, that's just, true. Just just to kind of um, you know maybe address the the tweet directly. It is a long movie. It's a three and a half hour movie. A um, little bit less if you count, pull out. Like, I think it's like a 15 minute intermission in the middle. Um, but I was struck by, like, you know, I talk about how, like, sometimes, or, like, I've, like, last week I talked about how, like, Zack Snyder's two and a half hour zombie movie didn't have enough time to do all the things that it wanted to do. Um, this movie took its time doing all of those things. I'm um, like, I felt like everything was super explained and there was always something happening, right? It's not like I didn't feel like any of it even was particularly drawn out. Right. I thought
1: it was incredible how quickly it gets going. You know, yeah. in the first five minutes, you understand the core conflict, and the plan that has been set in, mo- in motion to address it. Right, which is like, frankly, insane by modern standards. Right, like imagine if we were to if we were to say something like Army of the Dead, Justice League, uh, Avengers: Infinity War. Right, how many of those movies in their first five minutes? are that far along in their plot I feel like the answer is none of them right you know, none of them are that far along by 15 minutes in probably right um, and I definitely I definitely think that that is sort of like something that I don't know watching this movie was pretty effortless I guess it's just easy to get sucked into because you're going from point A to point B pretty clearly and there is like a just a very set plan. But, you know, so so you can sort of follow the thought process if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and there there's like a bunch of micro arcs in between. So it's not like it's not like yeah. everything is waiting to the end of the movie to resolve. Like you know, you're getting bits and pieces, right? You're getting like, why Kikuto is the way he is, like you know, bits about um, the fact that um, the kid's a you know a lord's son, right? Like all, all that stuff like is is rolled. You know, you you getting bits and pieces about like why is why is uh, Rikishi like. Why, is, why does why he get mad everybody time somebody mentions, you know, a wife, right? And it's like, oh uh, and then, you know, we get that with the with the fortress part, right? Um
1: I, yeah. I, And even in the beginning of the movie, right, like there are sort of these micro you know, like episodic almost um moments, right? Like the whole the whole scene with that introduces Kanbei, where he is going and, and getting the kid and the thief. He shaves his head or whatever, right? Like that is Kame's introduction, but it is sort of its own like kind of action set piece in a way, um, in the beginning of the movie that that sets itself up, has dramatic action and resolves all you know in a in a tightly con- you know uh, enclosed space.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you're know, just kind of like thinking about it, right. Like there's a like there's a whole like. I want to say like 15-ish minute segment where like they're trying to ask Kambe to come defend the village and like they keep getting interrupted um uh which I don't I, I I I like like you said it's pretty effortless to watch right like um maybe the the better comparison is because it like it's set up the way it, or the, the way it runs like it's it's more like watching a mini series almost right like I feel like you could break this movie up into episodes which is kind of what happens I guess with with the, with the anime version, which I haven't watched, but you, you have, right? Uh,
1: yeah, I love that. I mean, it's my favorite anime for obvious reasons. And partially because, and this is true, there's just a ton of dramatic and romantic tension between Kambe and Kyuzo in that, in that oh. anime series. Um, Kyuzo in that series is a little bit different because, like, the magistrate class is sort of its own aspect of the plot. But Kyuzo initially works for. Um, the, the magistrate and is sent to take care like wrap up things with Kambe and the other samurai and he fights Kambe one-on-one and Kambe gives up right he, he at the end of the fight he, he he gives up and he says uh you know i have to go deal you know like i can't do this if you're gonna kill me kill me otherwise i need to go save this fucking village and Kyuzo is like this is the best battle i've ever had in my entire life i will help you save this village So that we can fight again. (laughs) Which is very hot rod energy. Of like, I'm going to fix your heart frame so I can kick your ass. (laughs) But but it's just like, I don't know. I'm sure there are just a million like slash fix out there on like AO3 or something of like Convey Excuso. Because they have all of this like, you know, there's a moment where kuzo and Kambe both have their swords to one another's necks and like the blood is trickling down and kanbei goes i'm in love with your skills <laughs> and i'm just like who the fuck wrote this <laughs> anyway sorry that's just a tangent i'm sorry but it's the thing that happens in that anime, and it's great. Anyway,
0: <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, but yeah, what 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 other things are, are there to talk about 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 the movie itself?
1: Um. <laughs> Um, I do think that there, the movie gets a lot from killing from killing people, because yep. people die quite a lot in the second half, right? So the second half is sort of the execution of the battle, but the battle itself has, a, has multiple different stages, right? There's the scouts that first come, there's and then there's a couple of different waves of attack. And one of the things I think I like about this section is that it is very clear about what the, the battle plan is, right. I guess. Um, which reminds me quite a lot of, of, like, I mean, what, what do you think are, like, the great battle scenes in movies, right? I feel like, uh... Helm's Deep. Two Towers is one that I'm thinking of. Helm's Deep, yeah, for sure. I'm thinking of, you know, there's a couple of, there's a couple of different ones in, you know, in Game of Thrones, right? The Battle of the Blackwater, there's mm. the, you know, like, the attack on, uh, the Night's Watch, whatever that one is called. The, the Castle Black stuff. Um, I just feel like when there are these huge momentous battles, you need to be able to follow kind of the strategic thinking of, like, these major players, right? Uh, Another good example of this might be Midway, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago, Mm. um... Uh, which dramatizes the Battle of Midway in World War II. And one of the things that you're following is, you you know, like, sure, you're following the pilots who are piloting the airplanes that will eventually drop the bombs that destroy the Japanese aircraft carriers, right? Um, But you're also following, like, the American Codebreaker, who is deciphering the Japanese code, the, the Japanese coded messages to figure out where their fleet is so that the American fleet can ambush them. You're following, you know, I um, can't remember his first name, Nimitz. The guy, he's the guy that just, he was the admiral in charge of the whole fleet. He's in Washington the whole time. Or maybe he's yeah. in Pearl Harbor, I guess. Um, but you're following his thought process as he is ordering specific You know, aircraft carriers to go to specific kind of locations. And I feel like certain of these sorts of movies fail when this groundwork is not laid correctly, right? Um, I don't know what I would think of as a good example offhand, but I just feel like having a really strong understanding of like the tactical and strategic decision making that goes into every. You know, into every moment that then gets to kind of pay off, right? It's 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 sort of like its own mini heist movie in a way, right? You are seeing the plan for the heist, and then you watch, and the plan falls apart, and that's drama, if that makes sense. It does,
0: it does, and, and just to kind of break, like, you you some of this is tangentially related, but this is the thing that you talk about often is like, um, like the legibility of the geography of a fight, or like the geography of a fight. Mm. This movie is very good at that. Um, you know, yeah. even though, even though, you know, because it's so old, you, you, you know, you only have like kind of shots of like the different scenes. You don't have a lot of connecting shots, but it's very clear, like what, what parts lead to what. And I, I think that that's actually like a, a very kind of um, masterful part of this too, to, to your point, right? Like you understand like how the strategy that they're explaining sets up because you can understand where people are coming from. Um, you understand like how it's, how it's working. You understand the stakes really well because it's like, you know, there are exactly 40 bandits and they kill 10 in the... In the, the 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 ambush, and then he's marking, you know, Combi's marking down the the, the ones who, who, who.
1: Oh, I love that part, and then and the map, you know, he has the he has the map that he's drawing. Like, I feel like that stuff is so clear, and it, it it just like makes it very easy to understand, um, sort of the progression of, you know, of the battle, right? Like, how far in are we? Where where have we? What what do we expect, right? Like, there's there's the part at the end where he says. We've killed a bunch of them. They're probably going to end in a last-ditch effort. You know, they're just going to go all out on the next one. That's exactly what they do, right? But, like, you can follow that line of thinking. And you're sort of primed to understand where and how that is coming, if that makes sense. Uh, Which I just think, I don't know. Like, I think that a lot of modern cinema, and to be honest, I would even say Army of the Dead is guilty of this, um, sort of falters because it cheats it, it cuts these corners in a way right where you maybe you don't quite understand the geography as well or you're not clear on where people are moving and why right or um or like people are moving for reasons that seem con- kind of contrived for instance right like you know like any of those sort of things will kind of make the the next version of the battle sort of like fall flat if that makes sense um and sometimes you can make up for this with sort of like pure visceral action like i would maybe say that some of the later game of thrones stuff is this even even if it fails you know even if it fails on this stuff like daenerys's attack on the loot train in the later maybe season six season seven of game of thrones right that kind of comes out of nowhere and like we know that it's coming because they talk about it but like where it is on the map that's kind of whatever daenerys is all the way over here in this one island with her gigantic army but they get inland and they ride in and they attack okay but like the battle itself is pretty thrilling just because you know the 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 dragon is crazy um the dothraki are you know like that that is a fighting force that we've sort of been primed to watch in in combat um, and I just think like the moment to moment drama of watching, you know, Jamie Lannister and Braun uh, sort of doing their best to fend you know, like to fend off the dragon, Drogon gets hit by the spear and is down and it's like, can Jamie, you know, kill him before before getting whatever and it's just like all of that stuff even if i think the legwork doesn't quite get there maybe all of that stuff works sort of on a visceral level but i don't think anybody's gonna like take a g- going to talk about the battle of that loot train the way that we would talk about helm's deep which 20 years later is maybe like the pinnacle of this kind of you know like of this kind of cinema
0: yeah no i, I absolutely I, I absolutely agree um yeah i don't, I don't have to think i've got a, a lot to add to that um but yeah it is
1: it is interesting something else that I think is interesting especially because I was watching the Lord of the Rings the other day is how much DNA the Lord of the Rings shares with this that I don't actually really think is in the book as much compared to what we get in the movie version of Lord of the Rings that comes from Seven Samurai because obviously the book version of Lord of the Rings was written kind of contemporaneously um, because that was written in the 50s when this you know when this came out and i guess maybe it's possible that like tolkien watched seven samurai or whatever but like i just don't i i think that those are sort of like parallel developments but the team aspect of the fellowship of the ring and also the fellowship of the ring's execution of its individual sort of like fights and battles um like uh, is it Amon Hen? The you know the Saruman sends out the the pack of orcs or Urukai to take down, you know, the Fellowship, and that's where Boromir dies and everything like that. I feel like all of that stuff is using these same rules that were established in Seven Samurai, even if they are adapting a book from the same time period that don't include that on a plot level.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I, I like I, I think that's actually part of the success of of Lord of the Rings is is it makes like you know uh the lord of the rings is like kind of written like a uh, set of histories right like it's 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 it doesn't focus on the action as much as as kind of like a driving force right it's more an epic even kind of like you you might be you know you might be tempted to draw parallels because of the fellowship and you know the seven sam but the fellowship falls apart very quickly right like there's like mm-hmm. like that fight is like basically the only fight where they're all together um
1: that's not true they have all of moria uh
0: oh i guess that's true I guess it's They true. also
1: have the uh, the pass uh, that I can't remember, uh, like Colorado Cal- Calor- or something, uh, and then they decide to get off the pass because Saruman is yeah, yeah throwing blocking. a storm their way. Right, right. Um, right yeah, now, I mean, I don't know. I, I people say, do you have a favorite Lord of the Rings movie?
0: Um, n- no, but that, I I'm not. I a, feel like I the canon
1: it. answer is Fellowship of the Ring. And I think maybe it is because of this genealogy, because in Two Towers and in Return of the King, it is almost an ensemble story because the the Fellowship is split. They're all working towards the same goal, but it's very split, right? right. You know, you have the three hunters, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, who are tracking down Merry and Pippin, and eventually get wrapped up in Rohan. You have um, uh, Merry and Pippin doing stuff with the Ents, and then they split off to do Rohan for Merry, Gondor for. Pippin, right? You have Sam and Frodo who are doing, you know, who are doing their own thing. You have Gandalf who is rallying the Rohirrim and then, uh, you know, sort of organizing the defense of Gondor in the face of like uh, Denethor's whatever. Like, really, the I think I think the magic that creates that canon answer of like the the Fellowship of the Ring is just getting a bunch of people together who have these sort of competing personalities but are. All working towards the same goal, right? Um, in the same in the same movie, doing doing the same, right? You
0: know. It's also because like like kind of that universe is is small like smaller, right? Like the, the the Twin Towers and the Lord and the Return of the King rather are like kind of like more realistic than most depictions of like what a kingdom scale fight would be, right? Like you pro- like you know it True. wouldn't depend on like you know the actions of like the tiny party, um, but like. They're still getting to kind of that level, like the uh, with in, in the fellowship, and similarly in seven samurai, right? It's about a village, right? It's not about like you know, a nation yeah. spanning, nation spanning fight, and so you, you can kind of make that, that that kind of uh, small, small scale kind of set of conflicts work in a way that doesn't kind of betray the overall plot like you would have to do. Like, you know, it, it wouldn't make sense to tell that kind of small story, um, in the kind of uh in the context of the, of the larger Lord of the Rings story, uh give, giving kind of, like, the, you know, the in reality-spanning nature of that conflict, like, at least for, you know, for for, for that world.
1: um Yeah, I get know. that for sure. You know, like, if I think about what would make a good d d campaign, right? Seven Samurai, fantastic d d campaign idea, right? Fellowship of the Ring, going through Moria, that is classic d d shit, right? Um... But when I think about, like, is the Battle of Helm's Deep classic D&D shit? Kind of. Same thing with Heroes, It's like, kind of. But, like, most, I, I feel like most of what we think of as, like, classic d d shit, right? Like, the, the appeal of the small party doing the thing is communicated better in Fellowship of the Ring than it is in, in the latter two movies, right? Or in Star Wars. Star Wars is another great example of this, right? Like, Han Solo, Luke, and uh, Obi Wan breaking into the castle to to rescue Princess Leia and make it out like classic D shit, right? right. Um, whereas you know the 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 Battle of Geonosis at the end of Attack of the Clones, not classic D shit. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, it's it's. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's the difference between war games and and and, uh, and table, you know, and RPGs, right? Like you know, like. Mm. Minus Tirith is, is, like, Warhammer tabletop. Or, not... Warhammer... not F-Hanath. Oh, it's like Total War Warhammer We're, 2. Sure yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, oh, I, I, I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. It's it's, it's it's interesting because, like, kind of, like, that whole, like... That nation-spanning conflict is definitely a, a kind of, like, a classic trope that you, you see people try and do. It's just hard to do, right? It's like, you know, we've talked about this in our TTRPG cast. It's, like, Mass Combat Rules 201 pretty much suck mm. right like you know the best the best way to do it uh you know uh, mass combat is to like go get like a, a a real you know war game system and just play that instead right and even even then no which still...
1: sucks because i always want to do mass combat yeah because i you know I, I always want those kinds of stories to go to go big but maybe the answer is to just like keep it keep it contained right yeah i mean that kind of happened i guess for us when it when it came to like the star wars uh, the Star Wars campaign that we that we ran, uh, like that was pretty com- contained uh, of all of the you know of all of the tabletop stuff that we did compared to like Hell's Rebels right, which was very big and, and political. Uh, yeah, but dealing like with all these different nation states,
0: and most most of that was handled at the political level rather than at like actual like there were there were a couple of, of times when we did like actual you know kind of like mass combat moments, but even then they weren't of such huge Scale that, like, um, like, like the the Seven Samurai moment in that campaign uh, that that you ran, like, it's still like you know squad level rather than kind of like regiment level, maybe is is, is the way. I yeah, that's put it. true. Um,
1: yeah, I think that that was yeah that is fair. That whole middle chapter that that what I think it was book three was all about that kind of thing, right? Like the Seven Samurai thing was because that village was the storehouse for whatever the. Do you remember what those rangers were called? They were like the hunters. Jimmy's character was one of them. I forget. Wait, were they called Waywatchers, I think? Yeah, that I sounds right. It. Okay. Yeah, so the the setup for that was that the one of the the Waywatchers had this giant weapon cache in that village and the village was about to be raided and destroyed by beastmen. So you have to protect the village and there's no reinforcements coming in time, right? Like you you like you have to hold out or whatever until the until the reinforcements are, arrive to relieve you. Um, I, I definitely think that that kind of drama works, like, even later in the game, when we were in book five, and we were following, it was the campaign south, right, you know, that was always taking, like, you guys weren't generals in the army, right, you were accompanying the army, which was being led by Tonric, and... The army was doing army things, and you guys went into that dungeon to get, like, the time sphere or whatever. Like, that kind of shit. I feel like that's the only way to make it, you know, the, the only way to make that kind of, like, storytelling work super well.
0: Yeah. No, I, and, you know, if just kind of, like, expand on that, right? Like, I think part of the problem trying to, like, make those things work is that your characters are built to be characters, right? And you can't, like, unless you're, like, having having the characters advance along a, along a separate... Track that's about mass combat, like you you don't like you don't want to make the players choose between making them better at like the core RPG shit or at the mass combat shit, um, and like the best you even get in those situations, like you know, and then you get like a plus one bonus on your mass combat role, or at least to kind of like officially support and stuff, and that's not.
1: Yeah, I definitely well. think that. Um that mass combat rules themselves are probably I i think what i liked the most about how book three worked is that you guys were constantly finding stuff it's like okay we do this whatever quest line right um essentially and we unlock a thing for the army but that's almost narratized right like you guys got the um you know you you found this group of rahadumi rhino riders or like mara Grug's black blood orcs and you added them to the army so it's kind of like and you know like we could systemize that i think i did systemize it and we just never followed through because the mass combat rules i made sucked but it's just like i think that's satisfying in and of itself more so than like actually being you know what i mean and there's something cool i don't know i, I guess i want to say that there's something cool about like these these battles cinem- cinematically speaking um i definitely think that two towers is a lot of it's, it's a lot of fun and it's a very well-made movie i think the battle of helms deep you know man that is that is a blueprint of just spectacular filmmaking right um but it's just on a, on a very different it's just on a very different level i guess
0: yeah yeah no i i feel like we could probably do like a whole episode about like about that kind of dynamic just because like just thinking about it, there's you know I think there are ways to do it, but, like, it, it's it's never, like, having you actually be in control of the army in, in any meaningful way. Um,
1: yeah, maybe it's just, like, making a couple of cho- – like, I, I like – in Hell's Rebels, you guys made a couple of, like, key choices about the army, right? Like, you chose Tadric as your commander. You chose, you know, who, like, what pieces of the army were doing what in a very high-level – Strategic way, but it wasn't like moment-to-moment gameplay. That was just kind of like, okay, what's our what's our general plan when it comes to like when it comes to this?
0: Yeah, no, and and like I, I think part of the problem is like if you want to create like a like a, a battlefield experience, right? Like, you know, you can have people like you have to kind of have people doing like kind of like secondary or like tertiary objectives that like are are important, but like allow them to active individuals. The problem is is like if you want like to, you know be Aragorn cutting down people on the field of battle. That's actually going to be very boring because you're just basically going to be like rolling each turn to like kill something, right? But it's not. You can't like by the nature of what a, the scale of the battle, you can't turn the tide of the battle single-handedly, right? So like, you know, being being of being effectively like a super foot soldier in, in the army isn't super compelling gameplay. Um, yeah,
1: like maybe you know, I I think about. I think about, like, Warfronts in WoW. It's obviously is a, little, a little bit different, right? But something that Warfronts did was create these momentary... Like, these mini-objectives. like Or, like, you know, like League of Legends also yeah. sort of does this, right? Where, in a certain sense, the battle is always happening because you have minions running against each other. But, like, players aren't really super... Like, you know, if they're, if they're interested in making a big push for an objective, they're a part of that fight, right? But otherwise... They are they are dealing with individual objectives. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Like I am either going up the mid lane to push your tower or whatever. Um, but if but absent me, the battle is still happening between NPCs that are that are pushing against one another. And like you know, maybe maybe one side of those NPCs is pushing into another, and I need to respond to that. Or you know, I have a huge minion wave, and I want to take advantage of that to to push for my advantage or whatever but like most of the battle is happening kind of between computerized opponents who are just duking it out
0: yeah yeah and and again i I think it's hard to make pushing right fun as a thing to do in a tabletop RPG where most of this is abstracted out right like in in a video game the way you make that fun is you have like the individual skill of like last hitting minions or whatever right like and you know that's just kind of like
1: or you are the top level commander, and you're in a completely different genre, right? Yeah, you're playing yeah. Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah. And or like Starcraft. Your gameplay, yeah, or Starcraft, right? And your gameplay is about moving the regiments throughout the the map or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, do we want to say anything else about uh, about Seven Samurai? Since we kind of got <laughs> got off course.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. It's hard, It's so hard to just to talk about this movie on its own terms. Um, this is, this is quintessentially my favorite movie, right? Like what it is the default answer and it's because it's lifeblood is in so many other things that I just absolutely adore, right? I just think that this setup of a, it's, you know, something we didn't talk about, but that I do think is important to this movie. I love that this movie doesn't have a real antagonist. The bandits aren't personified in any right. real way. They are about as, you know, impactful as, I don't know, the the iceberg in titanic you know like they are a force of nature that is to be contended with but the personalities of everybody contending with the force of nature are so interesting themselves that it makes for uh compelling drama in a way that i think is is i don't know it's just like it's very cool um people get caught up in this sort of thing all the time like you know maybe we could talk about this in the back half right people are real mad about some of the story elements in world of warcraft shadowlands for for, for this sort of reason but i actually think that it's, a, it's a mistake to think that you need to have these very personified you know antagonists you can just have a bad guy who is just his whole goal is to do some evil cruel to murder a bunch of people to steal a bunch of shit to try and exert Control and domination over whatever, and he is not more complicated than that. Uh, which maybe we've lost. I complain about Thanos in this way. Thanos is the complete opposite. He's so personified and humanized that people empathize with him. When I argue that that is gross and they should not, um, and that, and I feel like that's the last thing I wanted to bring up when it came to Seven Samurai.
0: No, I, I think, I think, I, I think that's absolutely, absolutely true, and, and a very good point, right? Like that. It's interesting to like do the force of nature villain as like actual people just like not bother with them but um i think i think the lifeblood point is is actually super on point right like you know like you can't tell you know you can't tell a you know a ask a fish what water is basically type of deal right like it's it, it's tough to see because it, it is so influential and and wide-ranging and yeah no that's 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 it's super super fair um like we were talking about right like you can see elements of this like echo down through like filmic history in in a lot of different ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's a good good place to leave it. I don't think I've got anything to add to that. Yep.
1: Okay. How how was your week? Tell me all about it. Well, my
0: week was all right. I I you know I didn't end up doing a lot. I, I was uh, visiting my my folks down in New Jersey, so I ended up playing a lot of games. I ended up more kind of like uh, traipsing through some stuff. Something I did I did want to talk about, which um, was. Uh, are you familiar with Tom Scott, the YouTuber? You're like, where's the short educational videos?
1: Yes, absolutely. What uh, I've watched a bunch of his videos, but I don't have any particular... Okay, so
0: this is tangential, but he... he, I think the people he went to college with, he has kind of a game show called The Technical Diffic- Well, The Technical Difficulties is the name of the group. And they played for a number of years. They did a, a YouTube show that was um, this game show where essentially... He Tom Scott finds a random Wikipedia page, and he like reads the title, and like the uh, the rest of the people have to figure out the other three people have to figure out what they're talking about. It's kind of like this like, you know, there's like two types of game shows, right? There's like one where you're actually trying to win, and one where it's kind of like about the bans, and like you know the game show's are just a vehicle for that. That's very good. Okay. Um, it's been over for a little while. They were developing a new format, which is also very cool. Which is um, uh, uh, each of the each of the three guys uh, picks an article and uh, they, and like uh, Tom picks one of the titles and then the three of them each describe what it is, but only one of them is like the real version of what it is. Um, and they have okay. to, and he has to guess, and he has to figure out which one, and you know, also very fun. So I've been watching some of those. Um, and then another thing I found, which is less good, but also very fun, is uh, is this game show that College Humor puts out called Um Actually, which is um, basically the, the, the conceit is like, uh, so the the host reads out like a nerdy set like a sentence about a nerdy topic but one of the details okay. is wrong and the contestants have to go um actually and say what's wrong with the with with the sentence which is you know super super fun some like I don't think it's always executed perfectly but it's it's so much fun to just kind of be like you know this is like I know what's wrong with that you know like it's very kind of like nerd crack which you know I used to
1: I speak. I man, I remember there's that do you know the college humor oh, man there's a college humor game show for like why is this trending for uh for it's like it it i mean it's it's entirely fake obviously but it's a couple of people and the question is why is this trending and it's just like a name it's like um you know the version of this today would be Ellie Kemper who is a uh, who's an actress right she's on the office she's on she's the main character in Kimmy Schmidt why is this why is this trending mango do you know
0: no i i don't it's like it's the-
1: because she won a beauty pageant at the KKK ball in st louis called the ball of the veiled prophet you know it's just like so that game show is people guessing why specific things aren't trending it's like keanu reeves and everyone's like oh oh god is he is he racist like did, did he die he's great like and then the guy goes he's great <laughs> Anyway, I, I so the idea behind um actually sounds pretty pretty amazing. I'm a big fan.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's, it's super fun. So I, I recommend going and you know they're they're kind of like out of time, so you don't have to worry too much. So they're, they're a fun way to kill time. Um, the other thing I did was is I listened to uh, on tape uh, from from a from a service that doesn't pay us. so I'm not going to say what the name is, but uh, uh, I listened to Chaos Monkeys, um, which was like the um. It was in the news because the guy who wrote it like got hired and then fired by Apple because of the book. Um, um, but I do want to say that the book's book's a fun read. It's very much about Silicon Valley startup culture, which um, I was. Oh wait,
1: I know this guy right? It's the guy. Yeah, I remember this guy getting fired. Yeah, this uh, this happened like
0: a couple of weeks ago. Is he he got fired? Yeah. It's like so. It's very topical. It's because because the, the book is very I would say like like it's written to be edgy in a lot of ways and like you know. Uh, it, it it felt like he was trying to ape um hunter hunter Thompson Hunter s Thompson right it gave me big um big uh, uh fear and loathing vibes uh, sure but you know it was very entertaining um and for the parts of the startup culture he was talking about that I had interacted with um it was accurate it was it was true to true to form so um I can give that a recommendation um obviously it's you know it's an edgy book it's got edgy stuff in it but uh you know I'd uh, I'd recommend that. Um,
1: yeah, I mean that's the world we live in, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. And did, did did so when I linked it to the group, did you did you end up reading um two arms and a head?
1: Oh yes, no, I'm sorry, I read the first bit. I didn't read the whole thing, obviously. Um, or maybe not obviously, but I didn't read the whole thing. Um. The yeah, holy shit! So that was. Bleak.
0: Yeah. So, so this is a very, very, very conditional recommendation, right? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm I usually don't give huge trigger warnings and things, but this, this deserves it, right? Like, this is basically this is the essentially the suicide note of. It's very long. It's like a book length suicide note of a dude who was paralyzed from the shoulders down. Like, he could he could use he his arms. I didn't know it was a suicide note. So spoilers for the end of it, but uh, it's like it 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 goes until like the end, right? Like it goes to the end. Like um, it's it is very bleak. It is darkly humorous in a lot of places. Um, and you know, again, very conditional recommendation, but it's very very compelling. Um, so but don't read unless you want to be like up the unless you want to like face down the bleakness of human existence um but uh yeah Um.
1: that's wow yeah i remember when you linked it i read the i read the excerpt that you linked and i just like felt my soul draining out of my body and i was in discord with a bunch of people and i then read them and i felt like i was the tape from the ring you know like i was sucking their souls out of their body by just sharing this like Hopelessness, this raw and like unfiltered, just hopelessness. Right? (laughs) Wow. Now I actually do kind of want to read the whole thing, which I think is a terrible recommendation, but
0: you know, it's it is it is a compelling piece of media. It is it is you know, um, I mean, it's it's bleak in a different way. But like you know, similarly, I I thought Dear Zachary was worth a watch. Another thing that you shouldn't watch unless you want to be sad but like yeah um
1: yeah that's maybe the saddest maybe the saddest movie i think i said that requiem was a dream was the saddest movie but dear zachary
0: dear zachary gets extra points because it's real real. Real. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, exactly it is that's a real thing that happened Woof.
0: yeah but uh off of depressing stuff Well, how was your week unless you've got more depressing stuff to talk about (laughs) i
1: i i uh, I don't know i don't think i have depressing stuff to talk about um (laughs) Obviously played WoW, well, obviously played Mass Effect 2, which I will save the bulk. Oh, hey, did we ever talk about Hillbilly Elegy on the podcast? Do you remember? No,
0: because I didn't watch it, but I read it a while ago.
1: Oh, my God. I feel like I could do a whole podcast on that movie. Okay. I So, spoilers. Hillbilly, Hillbilly Elegy, I think, sucks. Um, both on a filmmaking level, because I don't like the way that it approaches time. Um, in the... I, I, I didn't read the book. This is just all based on the film. Um, in the film, it is uh, sort of... There's a narrative spine of the guy, J.D. Vance, is trying to get his, like, law school... Um, he's, like, trying to get his, like, law school internship or something. Like he was, he's trying to intern at, like, the correct big East Coast firm, but, like, his mom has some kind of, you know, addictive breakdown or whatever, and she's from the Rust Belt in, in, in Ohio... And it kind of goes back and forth in time, where it explains a bit about her relationship, a bit about his relationship with the grandma or whatever. Um, and I and I think that this movie is incredibly interesting, even though I think it's bad. I think it's incredibly interesting because it is not bad in the way that a lot of movies can typically typically be bad. In so, in so in the sense that they are false, right? You know, in the sense that they are they are unreal, right? Like I, I can't, I'm not invested in the character drama or. I'm not, um, following the, you know, like, the, the moment-to-moment story developments, anything kind of along those lines. This is actually a very, uh, an incredibly real story. One that, like, I mean, without getting too personal about it, right, like, this is a, a lot like my life in a lot of ways, um, and I saw decisions that I personally made echoed in this film, and I was like, that is incredibly true, and, like, incredibly, like, real, and I get that, but, um... It's also so, like, oppositely crafted to the way that it is created, to, like, to, the, to the way that it, the story is told, that I just think it completely doesn't work. So it's like this really crazy unicorn of a movie that is incredibly true to life and, like, the emotional conflict is very real. But it also sucks and is bad.
0: <laughs> uh, i have, have, have to. It's been a while since I've read it, and uh, I, like I, like I don't remember there being much. When you of,
1: read it, what did what did you think when you read it? I, I feel like a lot of this stuff probably just comes from them dramatizing this story. Right? Yeah, and, because if if I, if
0: I remember correctly, and I might be remembering it wrong, but it was less a direct story. It was more like JD Vance like describing the conditions of the like the Rust Belt, right? Because this is, this comes out in kind of like the the, the wake of twenty sixteen. Right and like you know this is is, I think he started writing it before Donald Trump got elected but it was like one of the cadre of the you know you know you know let's explore how why people elected Donald Trump like it's definitely kind of in that kind of yeah like if
1: you are if you are like a uh, an East Coast liberal and you couldn't possibly understand how Trump got elected people pointed to this book to like say this is the philosophy of these you know yeah I don't know of. Of these people and their lives or or whatever. It's, it's um, also
0: super interesting because J.D. Vance has also changed a lot since – like, it seems like he has changed a lot since then, right? Because, like, he was, like – he's, like, very much kind of – you know, how do I, we don't generally talk about politics on this podcast, but, like, he, sure. has, he has kind of moved into the, you know – Trumpism, but with like some, like, you know, trying to justify it with some sort of real political philosophy zone, right? Like, of like, um, like, I, I think they're called like Natcons now, whereas he wasn't that for a long time. Um, like, he's, he's like, Whoa. potentially like a, I think he's running for something, um, on kind of like that, that platform. Um, uh, but he's, he's a, uh, like, he's, stuff has gotten, uh, a, a, like, uh, a, he, he's gotten in a direction that, like, is, is, I don't know. It's a very different direction than kind of like the, you know, the the kind of like.
1: The book seems to seems to suggest he is going in a much different direction. Obviously. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, no, He was.
1: Wow. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's considering a bid as as a Republican candidate against Sherrod Brown, the Ohio, the Democratic mm. Ohio Senator. Yeah. Um,
0: um, yeah. I mean, I I I feel, I feel like this is this is. You know, maybe outside of the realm of the podcast. There's, there's, there's yeah, some maybe stuff. outside of
1: the realms of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. but there's, there's some,
0: there's some, there's some interesting stuff there um, to to explore if you're if you're interested. Um, but uh, outside of our our, our wheelhouse, baby. At least at least the wheelhouse of this podcast. Um, yeah.
1: Well, the 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 movie sucks. Is really the is really the end of it. The... <laughs> and it sucks in an interesting, kind of neat way, I guess. Um, uh, I so we also talked about, we talked about Boston Legal which I have been slowly watching I've also slowly been rewatching um, Master of None the the Aziz Ansari mm. movie or uh, sorry the Aziz Ansari Netflix series um, which I didn't get all that much into uh, but like the first couple of episodes I actually kind of forgot how good this was um, in terms of just like it's funny because this is a story that is both contemporaneous to me like I feel like it is about my generation it's about millennials and like millennial culture our generation buddy
0: we're the same age
1: (laughs) no i I mean sure but like we're the same age as disease and sorry right right yeah that's true so i feel like this is about my generation but it is it is a story that is completely alien to me just because like it's focused on things like dating apps you know or and like um I mean, really, just dating apps is really what it comes down to, which is just, like, not something I have a great window into because, obviously, like, I'm in a very committed relationship and have been for the past 15 years of my life. And so uh, the, I, I, I just forgot how good this this show was. Specifically, there's the one episode about their parents, you know, um, who are, you know, the, uh, the, the one guy, his dad is from Taiwan, the other guy, you know, his dad is from india and it's sort of is juxtaposing their lives in india and taiwan respectively with the lives of their children in the united states in modern you know 20 whatever 2010 2014 maybe is when this came out um which i thought was uh i don't man it's just it's just good storytelling it's just it's doing it's doing a good job um but there's a new season the 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 third season is not about a season his character it is about his friend his his friend uh denise who is, is like black lesbian best friend in the show um which i'm very intrigued by because i think she's a great character in the show and i think it's super neat that they chose you know what i mean like to to focus away from is he,
0: obviously is he in the show at all I'm, I'm, I don't know, maybe. I'm wondering, is this is this like around the time where he like got like half Me tooed
1: He got like very weakly Me too Yeah, He's I mean, right, I guess that's like,
0: fair. Like, yeah, they, I mean, they, they, well, they continued House of Cards without Kevin Spacey, and you know, uh, which was like a much more serious. Selling, mean, he you know.
1: got Me tooed um, but I don't think that there was a third season in the works because he had turned down his third season okay. or something like that. Now, I want to look up the timeline on that now. I remember, I remember at the time reading, because I wanted to know if there was a third season planned, because a lot of the time Netflix mm. will greenlight this stuff in advance, and the answer was no. Um, which is honestly kind of crazy, because the second season was about the Me Too movement in general, right? Like, the overarching plot summary was about him becoming friends with a guy who would eventually become Me too Um... Wow, holy shit. Both the first and second season have 100% on Run Tomatoes. when you mm-hmm. look at that? Um, <clears throat> oh, apparently, he's not in it. Aziz Ansari departed. Okay. Says one of the the. There's an overwhelming, there's an overpowering sense of frailty here. With actor Aziz Ansari's departure, the season walks a structurally and narratively thin line. So. voila
0: well, well. All right.
1: I don't know what to say about that.
0: Oi. <laughs> uh, what uh? You you been up to anything? Any, anything else in particular?
1: You know uh. What else? What else have I been up to? Not much. I, I've, I've been playing a tiny bit of the Burning Crusade Classic, because I've been... I'm more or less maxed on, on Baron at this point, right? I have a couple of pieces left that I can get 226 pieces for, and I just fucking love Mythics, and I will run them any day of the week. They are just so fun in general. Um, actually, a weird thing is that I've been healing recently, uh, as a, which is just completely fucking alien to what I normally do. Um, but I crazily what, what, what class? found... So I'm playing uh, shaman. Okay. So, so for a long time, shaman was always my second class. But my, my first class was obviously warrior, whether that was tanking or DPSing, just warrior is my, that's, I love that class. I think it's the best. And, uh, and I was playing, and, uh, my second character was always a shaman because my, so in classic WoW, I didn't play warrior i played shaman for all of classic wow i got to 60 as a shaman um and then in wrath of the lich king i picked up warrior and i was like oh my god warrior is amazing this is the best class ever sort of thing um but but this expansion i just got really attached to warlock I know, right? I do heal. Uh, this I got attached to Warlock as my like second class, and so now Gonder is very powerful. Like he's also basically fully geared at this point, though his gear is much less optimized than Baron's is in terms of like secondary stats. He has like incredibly poor secondary stat arrays. Um, but uh, but so my third character was is Zenhao the the Shaman, who um, I was generally planning to heal on in a in a theoretical sense of like. I like the idea that if somebody needs a DPS, I have characters for that. If somebody needs a tank, I can tank on Baird. Somebody needs a healer, I can show up on, you know, I can show up on my shaman. But it just so happened that my other friend Jade, who mains a healer, was also doing a different class. He was playing his uh, at first. He was playing Feral Druid, and then he was playing Guardian Druid. Um, and we just started running. We Just started running mythics. We just started like running a thousand, you know, just a thousand mythics. And the crazy thing is, based on purely having raw knowledge of the dungeons and like being good at these dungeons and understanding the pulls and understanding the interrupts and understanding all the boss mechanics and all that stuff, um, even though Zun How is only eye level like 197 or something like that, I was healing into the 11, 12, 13 range, um, just because. We were good, just because we're good at the game. Uh, I was talking to Sarian. I was talking to a friend of the cast, Sarian, um, about it. And he was like, what, like, is it that you guys overgear the content? Are you getting carried or something like that? And I was like, honestly, no. Like, everybody's in here on alts. Um, but we just ran a key up. And we just ran as high as it could go. And 13 was definitely my limit. Um... Which maybe is a representation of me not being a very good healer or something like that. Like, I, I have no context. I don't know what makes a good healer or a bad healer, and I have no idea how to parse that, right? Um, but I, I just found certain aspects of getting into that high range to be, like, too far. I was ooming myself constantly, trying to keep up with, out, uh, with outgoing damage, um, and, like, cooldowns and stuff were and stuff were hard. But it is just, like, it is such a different dynamic. It is so weird, healing <laughs> um and especially healing on a on a on a class like shaman which has you know an i, I guess I would call it like an interesting kit I have like weird considerations that I that I have to make as a shaman with like how grouped up is the is my crew right can I should I use healing rain which puts like a big thing of rain or is that a waste of mana because not everybody's in it are they too spread out for me to do chain heal um you know, when is it appropriate for me to blow cooldowns, and what, what do those sort of cooldowns look like, right? One of the things about Shaman is they famously lack a tank CD, uh, or what's called an external, um, which is a, a cooldown that a healer has that can give to a tank, like a one specific person who really needs the help. So, for instance, in Druid, this would be like Barkskin? Barkskin? Something like that. Um, in Mists Weaver it would be Life Cocoon. In Priest, it would be the Wings. Whatever that's called. Guardian Spirit, I think. Um, Travelers just don't have anything like that. So, like, if my tank is getting fucking destroyed... Iron Bark. If my tank is getting fucking destroyed, I have nothing. I can't do shit about that, right? Um, I don't know. All, all that stuff was... All that stuff was very neat. But I was very interested to see that... Um, I was very interested to see that the... Uh, that, like, the knowledge of just mythics and being a, a well-versed player in the content was able to get us that far compared to, right, you know, everything else. That makes
0: sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've just been kind of like... So I I did... I brought home, like, a, a, like a more portable mouse... Um, back to back to new jersey and I like, didn't have the buttons on it I was like I can't like I this is so foreign that I can't play this game effectively so <laughs> yeah so you know I uh what did I, I just like sold some stuff on the auction house and then games I also forgot to bring home the right charger for my for my switch so I didn't end up playing any anything on that I also mostly ended up uh, you know watching youtube videos I guess um, and you know doing other stuff you know uh, I, I put down mulch um, which you know is a thing I haven't done in years. Uh, my you know my, my dad had ordered a load of mulch and uh, he needed the help. He's getting up there in years, so I figured I'd, I'd give him a hand, which was which is wow. entertaining.
1: Have you ever chopped wood? Have you, is that something that you you've had to do?
0: I have, but not in like the not in the necessary context. More kind of like in the you know oh, okay. like the Boy Scout context. Um,
1: yeah, it was something that something that me and my dad did a couple of times is we cut down trees in our yard. Mm and then we chopped up the trees with a chainsaw, and then it was my job to cut that into firewood to then season over over the course of a few years, you know, because you have to you have to let all the moisture drain out before it's actually firewood, right? You can't just take a, you know, like a chopped piece of wood and, th- and toss it on the fire. And I it is my, it's sort of my, like, emblematic, um, I don't know, like, thing of yard work, but I actually weirdly miss it because I was good at it and I really understood it. And there's just something about, like, uh, you know, it's just like you know, it feels good to be good at something. Yeah, right? Like it feels good to be good at a thing. <laughs> and it turns out one of the things I was really good at was chopping fucking firewood.
0: <laughs> Member of the of the wood chop school, like Heihashi? Yeah,
1: like um, well so the funny thing is is that when I was chopping wood I was using wedges. Okay. You know, when you see when you see people chopping wood on like T V, like in Seven Samurai, right? They just have an axe, they chop the yeah. thing and that's That is true for the for certain kinds of wood, right? Um, Because if it has very straight grain, you can just clip it in half, right? Um, It's kind of like I don't know with something that it's just not complicated to to chop that. But if you have random wood, like I we had pine and we had elm, maybe we had we had a couple of different types of trees that were not very straight grain trees um and so when you do that what you have to do is you take the axe you hit the wood a couple of times to sort of make like a little like like divot and then you place a wedge in the divot and take a sledgehammer and drive the wedge in until you just crack it apart the reason pine is that is because pine has a lot of branches so you're creating a lot of there's a lot of knots in that grain and um and it's just like i don't know just it's like it's like hard but it's fun and it's satisfying also like um you know, uh, weirdly enough, I also understand chopping. I, I like. I saw a GIF or maybe a video the other day that was making fun of a guy. He's like a really big built guy, and he had a and he had an axe, and he's just wailing on a tree, right? Um, to, and and it's like in the video, he thinks he looks cool, but people reacted to the video as cringe content because it was taking him forever to chop into this tree. And even though he he has all these like muscles or whatever and everybody was saying like, what a dummy trying to cut this tree down with a blunt ax. And I actually don't think it was a blunt ax. I just think that he didn't understand where like the power comes from when you're chopping down a tree. Like the power comes from shifting your weight from your back foot to your right foot, which is like if you play baseball or golf, right? You know, you you don't you hit the baseball much less far if you just swing with your arms and you have your feet planted. But if you step into it and you can get your whole weight into it, you're gonna that that's what makes home run hits or whatever. Um, I don't know. There's something about yeah, that. Yeah. I, I don't know why we spent five minutes on wood chopping, but I miss wood chopping. Is, the, is Yeah, the no. Answer. I
0: mean, that's, that's part of it. Part of it too is like something something that again I learned from the scouts is like you know. Chopping a tree or chopping logs is not like it looks like in the cartoon. You don't just like swing it three times and the thing falls over. right? Like you have to kind of like very intentionally do like like the you know the oh yeah, chop. you cut the divot out yeah. so that it falls it's in the correct, correct the, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a while right like you know it's
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, but yes
1: yeah we constantly had problems with the chainsaw binding because Ooh. when you're when you're chopping down trees like that the tree is obviously. I mean, I'm sure you understand this, but for for any viewers who are watching this, incredible hand display the tree is still pushing down so if you're chopping into it from the side with the chainsaw, the the tree will just just snap the chainsaw in there you can't get it out yeah and then you have to and then you have to you have to relieve that weight somehow either by you can go on the you can go on the far side to try and get it to lean to like lean back because if you chop a chunk out on the far side you can force the the tree to lean back and kind of push it backwards um or or um you can just cut the chainsaw out with basically a second chainsaw, but you're not actually using a chainsaw. You're just using a you know like a serrated yeah. saw to get it yeah. out. That was very common when me and my dad were doing. Yeah, this. My,
0: my understanding is like the chainsaw. You, you also do that kind of like like the 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 right way to do it is to do that kind of like wedging motion, like wedging thing where you cut pieces out instead of like going straight in because otherwise you'll you'll bind the bind the saw yeah. like that. You can do you can do <laughs> chainsaw straight. Yeah. Lawn tips, you know, like uh, the, you know lawn care tips. <laughs> Some derps talk, talk about, about lawn care. care. <laughs>
1: My dad would be so thrilled. I'm going to send him this podcast just for this, <laughs> for this bit.
0: Oh, man. Oh, mine, too. Mine, too, buddy. Well, uh, you know, and I, I believe her dads both also have uh, glorious mustaches. Um,
1: That's true. But Yeah, my dad has a – I mean, I, I remember once I told you that my dad looks like – who, does he, who did I say? Tom Selleck. Selleck. I was like, my dad looks like Tom Selleck. And you, were, and you were very dismissive. You were like, you know what? Everybody says that. Everybody says, like, everybody you, like, says, like, oh, my dad looks like this. My dad looks like that. And nobody actually looks like that. And I showed you a picture <laughs> of my dad and Tom Selleck. And you were like, oh, my God. Your dad looks exactly like Tom Selleck. <laughs> that was... Honestly, top 10 dad moments yeah. in my life, I guess.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, to, 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 you know, in my defense, right? Like, that is a very common, like, you know, any dude with a mustache. <laughs> I, I completely agree with you.
1: <laughs> oh, it's funny. Holy shit.
0: All right, well. With, with, on that note, I think I think it's time to to punch out of here. Uh, if you'd like to email us about uh, your favorite uh, Tom Selleck look alike or uh, the seven Sandler or any of the other things we talked about on this on this podcast, you can email us at games at gmail.com or podcast at some you can follow at You can follow us on TV slash uh, You can follow us on SoundCloud and YouTube and all the other places. Um, and uh, you can join us on Patreon. All the others rate review us on iTunes. All that good stuff. Um, Buddy, uh, do you have anything else you want to promote?
1: Um, movie night is this week, uh, though I haven't announced what it is yet, hold on, let's see, oh hey, what's up Orion, everybody say hello to Orion, who's showing up in the podcast, um, I put up the poll, Up, oh, it's Good Burger, man, I don't know why I put up movies like this, last time it was Space Jam, this time it's Good Burger, as soon as I put up Good Burger, everybody fucking voted for Good Burger, obviously, <laughs> I, I was expecting, I, I mean, I don't want to be too salty here because Good Burger is a good movie, but I also put up Rush Hour, and I was expecting Rush Hour to get some fun. People love Jackie Chan, mm. Chris Tucker. It's a classic. It got the it got the lowest amount of votes. People voted for The Last Dragon. What? Well, ah, right, fine. Ming, if you're if you're listening to this, good job recommending Good Burger. <laughs> That's what we're watching on Friday.
0: All right. Well, um, with that, Good Burger, goodbye. Uh, until next time, Ghosters. <laughs>
1: Until next time, loyal listeners.